Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book called The Art Thief. To help me are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. My name is Joe Holshue. I've only ever read one book called The Art Thief and it's this book. It's called The Art Thief. It was written this year and it's about an art thief. I'm a high school English teacher, Joseph Holshue. Did I say that part? God, who knows? <laughs> who can even say? Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Litheads. And good morning, art thieves. Really hope that we have some good some good criminals you think we have a lot of art thieves following us i think us? there might be some tips you know we might I get some tips everywhere. uh from joe this week about about how to be successful in the mm-hmm. art tips thief tricks realm mm-hmm. um i i brought a book called nothing i didn't bring a book this week uh, i'm eager to learn all about how to steal paintings and make them my own May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> I feel like that's the hard part right like getting your hands on the painting isn't the difficult part relatively speaking the difficult part is then what do you do with it mm, because right. if it's the only copy of a of a rembrandt or a vermeer mm-hmm. yeah. do you think these type of like art thieves are just harders deep down Oh, I, I have quite a bit to say about that. I think, that, yeah, I think that actually hits, <laughs> presses some buttons very specifically for... You know, it does remind me, though, as Ian was uh, th- speaking to the imaginary or, or, pre- or presupposed art yes. thieves in our audience, I was wondering if I knew any art thieves in real life. And I remembered yeah. years okay. ago, I had a student in my class. He was from Florida. Oh, wow. And we had Let's some sort of... blast. Yeah, I'm blast. He was from Florida. And we did like a little like show and tell sort of thing in, in class where you had to bring in something that was important to you and he brought in a spanish doubloon right a spanish gold doubloon and Mm. on the back of it was paper like it had clearly been glued to paper and when he said he Uh said if you're wondering why there's paper on the back of it it's because when i was in florida we went to a museum when i was in fifth grade and i took this (laughs) like i just ripped this off the display so i know at least one (laughs) museum thief that's uh i mean when what's the statute of limitations on well doubloons Mm-hmm. I, who that's knows? concerning i feel like doubloons are made for stealing they were always like in galleys and battles maybe we should cut this because i think you just admitted a crime <laughs> <laughs> well joe you are an accessory after the fact so well i would like to say here now that i am happy to cooperate with any authorities who would like to track down that spanish doubloon um that's it yeah Wow. And as we know, as soon as your children, as soon as your students turn 18, we can, they become fair game. Oh, and this is like about 22 <laughs> now. This kid, this was a while ago. Uh, well, welcome, Litheads, you don't know, Lit, uh, weekly, or as we call it. What oh, if we call I'm waking it? up strongly you don't podcast. Know art. You don't know yeah. art, because it's about mm. Art Thief this week. Or every week. Uh, <laughs> We usually bring two book recommendations, except when we do cop-out episodes, we just bring one because life, you know. Oh, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. And, and, and life comes yeah. at you fast, to, to, mm-hmm. to quote life some advertising travel. agency. Good. Uh, gentlemen, uh, Ian, Joseph, don't spoil anything. Let's keep the stories to, you know, a limited amount. 
Yeah. Of I don't time. know that many art thieves, so that might and, be just uh, the one. Maybe, yeah, we got that story out of our way. And then, you know, that's about it. You won. I mean, there's only one book, so congratulations, like congratulations Joe. Joe. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I feel like if we're going to say that comedy is an art form, which I don't know that we should say that. Definitely then, not. And stealing a joke is being an art thief. Good point. Mm, interesting. Thank let's, you. Let's let's break it down in excruciating detail. <laughs> as, as we do, baby. Joseph, give us give us the back cover here. What's All what's this right. book about? Because I think I know what it's about. I think mm-hmm. I've heard of this story. It's a mm-hmm. true story. It's a true story. True and story. It's about an art thief. But you <laughs> give you us the it. yeah. I think. <laughs> Those are the basics that I All know. All right. Nick, this is a story about an art thief, but not just any oh. art thief. Oh. Stefan Balletweiser may very well be the most successful no and prolific art thief <laughs> who ever lived. Between 1995 and 2001, he amassed a collection that was worth, by some estimates, $2 billion. With a B. He, with a B, capital B billion, but he never sold a single item. Instead, he says he did it for the love of beauty. He believes museums are prisons for art and Breitweister liberated pieces one by one with nothing but his trusty Swiss army knife and a whole lot of gumption. Gumption. Art thief. 2023, 200 pages long. I have a uh, I have 2.1 million questions. I have Mm -hmm. a gumption. Mm -hmm. Ian. Is, is one of the questions about how he believes museums are prisons for art and then he just that brought that them to his house. It's <laughs> <laughs> a better prison museum. This is what you said 1995 through 2001? Yeah. Good for that him. six years. It was six how years. How do you have time to stop and enjoy the beauty that you're stealing, pilfering, sure. liberating. Because you're always heisting, heisting, heisting. I think heisting. we're about to yeah. find out here, Ian. Joseph, mm-hmm. tell us. Yes. Give us the story. Ah, okay. So I think the most, well, there are many interesting things about this man. Um, one of them, though, is that while he was active, he was stealing something on average every 15 days, right? So how, okay, so how, how yeah. is this guy stealing so much art? Where is he based? Because I feel like that matters. Like if, if you're in Reno, Nevada, and you're trying mm. to steal $2.1 billion worth of art. You, you got a lot of time to do. <laughs> a lot of tra- a lot of car time. Yeah, so you could probably guess where he's based based on just that, right? He's in France, Paris. the artiest ah. of all places. <laughs> and not only is he in he's France, he's stealing it from the people who already stole it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> well, but not only is he in France, he's on like one of those border areas of France where he could just like hop over into Switzerland or take a quick drive into Germany or or whatever. Like he stole from something like seven different countries over this time and they were all just like short little drives away okay so joe how did he steal all this art so the i i think one of the reasons this story captured my imagination one of the reasons i picked up this book is because when you hear two billion dollars you're like this man is a like he's a genius he's an art thief genius he's pulling off these massive heists The way that he stole almost all of this art is through incredibly lax security at incredibly provincial and regional museums, right? Like, he targeted very small fish. He was, Mm, like, spamming low-level quests. Yes, he was grinding. He was stealing B-sides. Super high, (laughs) like, super high level. And then he just went into, into the introductory areas and started 
grinding but still, knolls. was wow. it still by affluent artists, Joe? And it was just less famous pieces. It, yeah, exactly. Well, and the main, the way that he achieved that $2 billion is mostly through quantity, right? Like 172 <laughs> museums, 239 <laughs> artworks. Like he got there the hard way. It was a, he's like the Costco of, of art thieves. <laughs> the goal was, sounds like for him, the goal was not so much like I'm going to have $2.1 billion worth of art right. in my house. It's, I want as many beautiful things as I can. Well, and the way that he talks about it, and it, and uh, this book, I should say, is written with extensive cooperation from Brett Weister himself, right? Um, a guy named Michael Finkel, a, a reporter, a guy who's been kind of like working as a newspaper reporter for years and years has been published in the New York Times, the New Yorker, et cetera, et cetera. We all know who Michael Finkel is. Obviously, we know who Michael Finkel is. He um, came into some money. He bought a house in the south of France, as you do. He learned French. And at that point, he was like, oh, there's actually this guy that I'm kind of interested in talking to um, and, you know, writing this article about whatever. But he only speaks French. Let me reach out to him. And they started corresponding longhand. Like he would write him a, a handwritten letter and, and um, Brett Weister would write him back a handwritten letter. And it went on like this for something like 11 years. Like they started touring museums together. They would go for drives together. So Stefan Breitweister's voice in here is really prevalent. Like this is like really him in a lot of ways telling his story. Hmm. And when he tells his story, he doesn't just make it sound. I think he believes that a lot of times he was never really seeking to steal this much art. He Hmm. is a connoisseur. He's an, um, he, he, he is, overwhelmed by beauty often and oh when he would be God. walking through these very museums European. <laughs> so European <laughs> he'd be walking oh this beauty I yeah, must do I cannot stand it. Joe, what uh, uh, what uh, his ethnicity so we can uh, generalize his uh, voice? Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll say French, French. Is he in prison now? Okay. Well, you know, you know, the European Union and their lax, lax prison. Oh, laws. I do not. I live in <laughs> if he was in America, this man would be in prison for the rest of his life. Uh, however, because his crimes were uh, nonviolent, because they were done without a weapon, because they were just sneaky, sneaky art crimes and crimes of passion. Um, he has been to prison several times, but he is not currently in prison okay that's crazy two points first <laughs> of all insane first of all the i think european ideas of uh of, of prison are very like restorative it's restorative so like you you go to prison and hopefully that makes you better it's, it's important i think for this system yes. it's necessary for the system to see if you're better um this guy's stealing art he's still stealing art for a hundred percent sure he's still stealing art this guy's i also i love the idea of how do you like how do you if if there is a person who is like the beauty it overwhelms me i must i must (laughs) see this for myself coming to these little museums how do you how do you restore that do you Mm -hmm. do like a um Clockwork Orange style, like make him yeah. look at make him look at like horrible Heal things to, de- to break. Open. Yes, yeah, to break. Mm-hmm. Last point, I want to say the the concept of the phrase "crime of passion" being applied to 
art thievery. <laughs> it feels like one of the most planned or kinds of crime in general. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Joe, you said yes. something interesting, which was he views it as like a they're in prison. This mm-hmm. seems like a similar argument to zoos. Nick's going to liberate zebras. <laughs> He's going to have a a zoo at his house where he looks at all the animals. This is like you you put them all together to protect them, but also like to encourage appreciation. Mm -hmm. Or do you let them go? Well, and this is and the book gets into this a little bit where it says, like, look, one of the ways that that Brett Weister is able to to commit all of these crimes is like art museums like they care about security. But that's not their chief concern. Their chief concern hmm. is sharing like beauty with the public. Like that oh, is the sure. job of a museum. You certainly, if you wanted all the paintings in the world to be secure, you could lock them in a locked basement underground and, and they'd be secure. And maybe we should. Okay, that's a good point. And that's it. So he says, so are art museums concerned with security? Of course. Are they primarily concerned with security? No. And especially for these regional museums, these historic castles, places like this that Brett Weiser would target is they would say like look these are places with budget constraints and if they have to make a choice between acquiring a new dope piece of art that's going to bring people into the door and hiring another security guard or upgrading their systems they're always going to choose that new piece of art because art theft by and large despite brightfeister despite my student stealing spanish doubloons in fifth (laughs) grade right like like it's not that common it seems like they might not know though <laughs> isn't, the there, isn't there some statistic about like how all art is fake in museums or something like that? also all art has been stolen <laughs> or, yeah. or plundered or yeah yeah wow. the pressure to like the financial pressure is a really interesting thing so i know some people who are um i, I have a few friends in the rare book collecting world not surprising in mm-hmm. those um, fantasy people, not yes. surprising no. and when when they buy like the really expensive books um one of the big questions becomes do we insure because when you insure your mm. your your books your, your your very expensive thing um yeah like then then you're safe and, and if it if it gets stolen or burned in a fire or something you get a little bit of but and sometimes you're required to insure your collection. Some like legal, some legal situations require, especially institutions to insure their collections. And that costs, those premiums cost a lot. And so when you buy, you know, a hundred million dollar um, painting or a six million dollar book, it's not just the price of that you pay. It's then if you're required to to insure it, then you're you're putting yourself on the hook. So for a couple of um, a couple of recent sales of Shakespeare's first folio have happened because the collections that housed those books could no longer insure them. So wow. it's like, hey, this thing we understand it's worth eight, ten, however many million dollars. We would it, we know it's an important book. We would like to keep it, but the upkeep the maintenance of this thing is too much so i I dig that that um, pressure of so the author is the the friend of the thief yes the author is a reporter who has met and and i guess befriended this guy is probably a little bit stronger board but has really gotten to know this guy over the course of about 11 years um so 
and and when he presents Brett Feister's voice in this book, he really does give him a voice in this book. So when Brett Feister talks about like being overwhelmed by the beauty of art and absolutely having to take this thing, there is a part of you as a reader that's like very slightly sympathetic to that. Like it feels relatively genuine. When, however, you see it happen over and over and over again, and you see him steal, you know, a uh, uh, a bugle, a f- fancy bugle, when he already has a fancier bugle at home that he's stolen. <laughs> How before. thick was this guy's house? Okay, bizarre. He lived. That's a in, bad question. Keep going. Well, <laughs> no, it's in, not. He lived if in he a has, two bedroom one Yeah, right. visualize this for us, Joe. How much yeah. is two? He lived in a two-bedroom apartment in the attic of his um, willfully blind mother's house. (laughs) Wow. In the attic of his willfully blind mother's house. Fucking great. They describe it. They describe his his house or his living arrangements. uh, And and by the way, there's a lot of video footage of this because he and his girlfriend, who is his frequent accomplice, his frequent lookout, would like (gasps) take videos of them lounging on these in these fancy beds and like admiring these things. Post them on the Internet. Yeah. Well, this is a relatively (laughs) pre-Internet. Okay. I guess um, no, you're right. But they were talk. They talked about it like he lived inside of a treasure chest. Is what it looks like. Like or like he lived in Alibaba's cave. Yeah. Right? There is just art everywhere. Um, his his mother, by the way, who lived downstairs, um, did he would lock his door. Like he had a separate Good. lock for it. Baseline. Um, Good baseline. Smart. Separate lock for it. His mother, when she was questioned after things unraveled, she's like, well, I mean, I would see him come home with like objects from time to time, but he always just said he got them at thrift stores. Like, like he would go to like consignment shops, secondhand stores. Guy loves Goodwill. He's got a membership. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think the last piece of this story that's interesting, and I'm happy to answer any other questions you have, is his eventual downfall, right? Because... uh, you can only yeah, steal. How does he get caught, Joe? Yeah. He gets caught in just the most mundane way in the world. Sure. Uh, his thefts were mundane, right? <laughs> the like Mona he, Lisa fell out of his coat. Yeah, I mean, you're at the McDonald's. Kind <laughs> of, right? Like the main way that this guy would steal is he would find a piece that he would like. He would take out his trusty Swiss Army knife. If it was a painting, he would just like cut the wire off the wall, like lift it off oh, the wall goodness. and shove it under his big trench coat. Um, This guy's confidence must have been just unbelievable. He must have just been walking around with his big old two billion dollar. There's stories about he and his girlfriend, because, of course, they never wanted to draw suspicion to themselves. So sometimes they would complete the the heist of the thing. They would they would, uh, you know, liberate the statue of Adam and Eve or whatever it was. And then. To avoid suspicion about themselves, they would have lunch in the museum cafe with this thing in their coat. There's a lot of swagger in this book. It feels wow. like it's a movie. It- this is the betrayal of movies. Oh, good. It's let's let's not go here. The laser beam guys talking nope. about movies. Hey, it's Nick, not what's, what's the laser the beam? You know, behind gl- bulletproof glass thing. That, it's not you know, Ocean's Eleven. It's, it's not sexy. Nicholas Cage it's not is not choreographed. This is like, well, we can either get new printing paper or we can get art security. And guess what? We need printing paper. <laughs> I would say that in some regards, this is kind of Ocean's Eleven because. I'm listening because it's the attitude 
the attitude like this right. is this is the this is the cinematic the soundtrack in the cinematic mm-hmm. thief attitude it's like they want a thing they gonna go take it I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like the opening scene, though, where they just steal something really easily. It's not yeah, like the okay, maybe. Like, no scene big deal. where it's like really hard. Yeah, it takes a lot of effort. It's like, let's go to McDonald's and then I think we'll... What's the most famous piece they stole, Joe? He stole. Oh, you would you would not recognize not even know it. it yeah, huh? No, you you would never hear of it. Like it. Yeah, um, I think just let them keep it. It sounds like this art. <laughs> like, who cares, <laughs> right? Like, I, like I nobody even knows what it is. I it's think it's fine. fascinating that... This affected like 25 people. That's what the judge said. He's like, it's fine. You can, you're free to go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to get too far into, um, into philosophy and literary theory here, but, but here we go. But there's a, a guy, um, uh, uh, a theorist, um, who lived in the 1920s and 30s, who, who's working in the 1920s and 30s named Walter Benjamin. And Benjamin has this whole thing about the difference between paintings and photographs. And he says, art like paintings have what he calls an aura which is connected to the fact that like we know that the dude the person the painter touched it there's authenticity the photograph is endlessly replicable you can replace it and you can reprint it and you can you know copy the the file and share it um but there's something about painting and he's making this claim about like the world being worse now in the 1930s because all these Mm -hmm. photographs everywhere they're just making beauty but it's fascinating it's fascinating to me that this dude couldn't just print off copies. <laughs> he couldn't just go take pictures, right? He, yeah, he, he had to, to have, have like the thing. if you're saying like we usually think of beauty as as the, as, as as visual primarily, mm-hmm. like especially in this regard, you you can you can enjoy the beauty of a painting similarly. Maybe not the same, but similarly between a a digital reproduction of it and. The, the thing itself mm, but he's like no nah, i have to Ian. i have to have Joe, the authentic item was was he showing his friends like this oh, this idea of nobody. like nobody nobody okay this idea of sharing does how does he defend that he very much he he, he doesn't it's just like oh, this okay. is my belief i believe i believe museums are prisons oh, okay and That's then he, it was just very him and his girlfriend that would look <laughs> at these okay. things i love this i will not back up this <laughs> he's like museums museums are prisons they're keeping me from being free to their prisons from me. They're preventing the yeah. the, the mm. and, and freedom is letting them be visible psychopath. to me. Yeah. So, so the he stole things mundanely. His capture was mundane. Um, literally he put a painting under his coat. He walked out of a museum and a guy saw him like the museum owner saw him and like <laughs> tapped him on the shoulder <laughs> in the street. Not supposed to do that. Uh, excuse me. I mean, like walked like walked him down and put a stern hand on his shoulder. This was in Switzerland. He spent a little jail time in Switzerland. However, like was his first offense, right? Like it was the first time he was captured. It was like pitched as a one-off thing. They didn't like search his house or anything like that. Did a little time, went back home, immediately started stealing again. Got, Got caught the second time. Came home with something. After he got caught the first time, his girlfriend stopped stopped helping him. She's like, look, this is crazy. Oh, okay. I'm not doing this anymore. Second time was just going and touring museums on his own. Came home with something. His girlfriend is furious, right? Like furious. She's like, I thought you were going to stop this. 
did you at least wipe down your fingerprints? Honey, you said you were clean. Yes. Did you at least wipe down your fingerprints because you did this in Switzerland? They have your fingerprints in Switzerland now. He thought, oh shit, I didn't wipe down my fingerprints. They returned to the museum the next day, the two of them. She went in to wipe down his fingerprints. While he's outside, a local reporter just recognized him as like this man who was hanging around the previous day when this thing had gone missing informed museum security he was arrested for a second time and then they like searched his apartment um wow. and, and and all those things wow very sad story at the end his mother who turned the blind the blind eyes for this oh no um, oh now mom no, no. Well, no. she's, she's in prison well <gasps> she she went from willful ignorance to aiding and abetting around the sec- uh, the time of his second capture. She went into his apartment, used her key, went into his apartment, took all of the art out of it and destroyed it. Whoa. Destroyed what? it. What? 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 I don't know. No, 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 no. What? This is this is beautiful. No, this is beautiful. This is Batman and the Joker. First off, mm-hmm. how she's yep. blind? Well, she's no, no, no willful, no, no, willful. No, 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 no. That's that a metaphor. Was... <laughs> Wait, oh, I thought you meant she was actually blind. I didn't hear the willful part or knew what you meant by that. Who Nick, says willfully Nick, blind? Nick, what? Nick, what? Blind people can do things too. Yeah, it's not but just not, but not. Fu- I mean, who knows? It could have been oh, blank page, the sense of touch. pieces of paper. <laughs> so it, the way that she did it, I guess it kind of came to you in two ways. This changes my ways. point of view significantly. Number one, all the good hard stuff like the ivory and the and the copper and all that stuff, she put into big garbage bags and she threw off of a bridge into a river. Right? Why like the, the stuff fuck that would she sink. do that? Yep. All of the painting stuff she put into her car. She went out to the woods and she started a big fire. Like she burned it all on a pyre to destroy the evidence and protect her innocent son, Nick, who was just doing it. Oh, it's a crime of passion. He couldn't help it. That is so good. I'm trying to put myself in her shoes. So, Mm. okay. Does she go to prison, Joe? Is she in prison right now? She does serve some jail time. She does serve some prison time eventually for aiding and abetting. Um, And then Nick... The last thing I have to say is you this said this, this guy's spoiling out. the shit out of this book. Oh, <laughs> so that's actually I have something to say about this as a book as well. We so, spoil nonfiction all the time, don't all we? The time. Well, you got it. You yeah, got it absolutely. <laughs> um, Nick, you 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 presaged this earlier when you said this guy is absolutely still stealing. Like this guy is. There's <laughs> yeah, no he way is, he's not sure. still stealing. This guy's addicted. He's, he's had, an addict. He's had kind of a humiliating downfall since all of this. Like. He sent his mother to prison. That's he not a good start. He has kind of this cool art stealing resume. He has kind of this like swaggery reputation. After he got out of prison the second time, he had a little publicity and he wanted to set up shop as an art security consultant, a museum Brilliant. security consultant, just like hackers who hack into banks and then say, hey, if you want to tell me how I need to tell you how I did that, you yeah. can hire me. Is he right? working for the government now? So he wanted to set up himself as a museum security consultant. After he's out of prison, he's doing all these things. He um, is at the airport and he sees some Kelvin Kleins that he thinks his new girlfriend is really going to like. And he steals them. And he gets caught stealing clothing at the airport. And he becomes just like 
ridiculed like just a preposterous <sighs> joke of a story since then um he he tried to steal another painting from an art dealer worth about 50 million dollars got caught immediately um in 2016 he was in need of money he went against all of his stated principles went on a robbery spree and started selling things on okay so maybe he's not maybe he's not addicted to beauty maybe he's just addicted to stealing yeah he started selling things on ebay almost two hundred thousand dollars he had gained was recovered like they searched his apartment at one point and just found like a hundred whatever the french use i guess it's euros now like a hundred thousand like euros in like in a basket from just like little in a basket so yeah well or a jar. I don't know where, how French store their money <laughs> in, in a clay pot buried Man. in the earth. <laughs> this is so- One of the tricks that this book uh, pulls off is is the author really gives this guy a voice. And he, when this guy wants to talk about how cool he is and how swaggery he is and like how confident he is, you kind of buy into it. And then his downfall is just so humiliating Obvious, because it's, it's unprincipled. Right? Like it, it's unprincipled. It betrays everything that he says right. that he was all about. It's, it's humiliating. So last thing I'd say about this book, it's super short. It's 200 pages long. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, probably could have been a long magazine article right like sure. it could have been a new yorker it could have been a new yorker piece as a book it's it's a little bit stretched at times mm. even even in 200 pages um yeah so good book i dig it good cool st- cool story book is fine if that makes sense Leadheads, if you want to steal our hearts or, or possibly our, our arts, you can support the podcast in a variety of conventional and unconventional ways. Conventional ways include engaging with us on social media or on all the ones that matter and some of the ones that don't. You can uh, head to our website, www.tweenvogue.com. That's T-W-E-E-N-V-O-G-U-E.com. And there you can request a book to make us read what you want us to read. You can also request a theme or you can get a sticker mailed to you. Leadheads, of course, the most important thing you can do is tell a bookish friend. Congratulations mm-hmm. to Art. Congratulations to uh, Billionaires. Yeah. And congratulations to willfully blind mothers everywhere. Yeah. Just looking More out for blind boys. mothers. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, uh, there was some news story about, about a guy getting turned in for a crime by his mother. And Nick, you'll appreciate this. I asked my mother, I was probably like eight or 10 years old at the time. Mom, nice. if I committed a crime, would you turn me in? Nick, what do you think my mother said? A hundred percent. You're going to jail. <laughs> that is almost <laughs> verbatim what she said. She's like, absolutely. I would 100%. You would go yeah. to jail. <laughs> time to see some consequences. How else are you going to change, Joe? That's You're not, right. clearly not listening. <laughs> All right. This, uh, this passage comes, um, it's it's from a the quiet book. moment, but to, it comes from the book. It's a quiet moment between the reporter and Brett Feister. It's quiet in the courtyard with just a couple of people around. The air is warm. Spring is coming. Brett Feister shuffles foot to foot on the pale cobblestones. The vesteria on the walls is start, starting to bud. The last time he had been in this courtyard, the ivory was under his jacket. This time, tears slide down his cheeks and he mourns his lost years. Not when he was stealing, but since he stopped. He says that he only realizes now, in hindsight, what he couldn't possibly have known then, that his previous visit to this museum might have marked the high point in his life, the pinnacle. There will never be a grander moment than driving home with Anne Catherine, windows down, ivory in the trunk, young and triumphant. 
Brett Feister says that when he used to lounge in the four-poster bed, he had sometimes envisioned the last instant of his life. He'd be surrounded by every piece of his collection, drawing his terminal breath in a room packed with beauty. He would be gone, and his works, he always thought of them as his, would endure. But he had pushed everything too far, and his mother had lit a fire in the Alastasian woods. I was a master of the universe, he says. Now I am nothing. He heads to the Rubens House exit through the gift shop where the booklet with highlights of the museum's collection is sold. In the booklet, along with a few photographs recounting the ivory's theft and return, is a full-page photo of Adam and Eve. This is the piece that he stole. Maybe he can frame the image, too, and perhaps this one won't haunt him. Brett Feister has no cash, no job. Just to drive here, he had to accept gas money from his mother. Out of habit, he notes the locations of the gift shop cashier, the security guard, the customers. He checks to see if there are any surveillance cameras. There aren't. And then he picks up a copy of the $4 booklet and walks out the door. 